There's a new and better way to interact with podcasts. The Clever Podcast app allows you to bookmark, highlight your favorite quotes, and buy recommended products all in one place. You can listen to any public podcast, but we'll have exclusive Haas podcast content only available in our Clever app. So sign up for Clever today at clever.fm and do more than listen. I'm Adam Ward, and this is Here at Haas, a student-run podcast connecting you to all Haasies and the faculty that change our lives. This week on Here at Haas, we are joined by Louise Liang, EWMBA class of 2023, a social impact account executive at Twilio, and a VP for Haas Hearts in the EWMBA Association. Welcome to the show, Louise. Thank you for having me. Of course, I'm so excited to have you on the show. For those of you who may not know, Louise and I met during WeLaunch a year ago, so we've nearly been friends for a year now, man. <laughs> I know, everything virtual, taking classes, it's fun. Yeah, it's been great. I'm really excited to um, talk to you about your story. It's extremely powerful. And I'm excited to hear about your learnings from your first year at Haas and from your story. And to kick things off, I would love if you could tell us about growing up in Mexico and moving to America. I was born in Mexico. I'm half Chinese, half Mexican. And my mom and my three sisters, we moved to the U.S. when I was 14. And that's when I became undocumented because we overstayed with our visa. And I'll say statistically, as a person of color, also being gay and being undocumented, the chances of me going to school were minimal, like in terms of like finding resources or like finding financial aid or having my mom guiding me through the process or, or getting their support. I think I consider myself really lucky to be at school, to be working and to be advocating for other undocumented students and people of color. Yeah, so I think that's part of my mission and, and the reason why I take education and everything that I'm doing with social impact really seriously. And I know you're doing a lot with social impact with House Hearts as part of the EWMBA A and also as part of your job. And um, Louise, could you give us some of the learnings that you've made or reflected on about overcoming adversity and overcoming the odds to, to get where you are? What have you learned about adversity and, and how to overcome it? I can give you a story. And it goes back also to telling you a little bit about unpacking some of the stories that I have and the learnings. So I've been, I got into Berkeley three times by now. When I moved to the States in 2014, I went to, after high school, I went to community college because I didn't have money or resources. And then I was able to get into Berkeley in 2019 the first time. And they gave me the, a full-ride scholarship, the Regents and Chancellor Scholarship. But given my status, they took it away because I didn't have a social security number at that time. And I'll say that as a 19-year-old person, like I was devastated. I remember like, going home crying. I, I thought that was going to be the end of many things. Uh, but that year, I came out to my mom. Mm -hmm. I was able to raise $70,000 uh, through private scholarships with community. And then I was I reapplied and get readmitted into Haas. And then that's when I was able to transfer in 2010. Just like taking that experience, I think, in terms of like, learnings, it's about persistence and then also being open to the great things that are going to happen because even though it was one of the it was one of the hardest years in terms of I felt like a failure at some points now that I think about it like the fact that I came out mm -hmm. that was huge the fact that I was able to also 
raise the money by myself. The fact that I was able to understand the power of community just because of one incident, like all of these learnings happened. So I think I'm really thankful now that I look back mm-hmm. and having the scholarship taken away. But like, it's all about perspective and how you see things. So I think it's mostly staying positive and, and trusting that time is going to make it happen and, and you're going to learn from it too. I can't even imagine what you went through as the 19-year-old getting that news. Louise, would love to delve a bit into your story. You spoke about being half Chinese, half Mexican. Can you tell us a little bit about growing up and, and what you would do and how you would celebrate and embrace that multicultural identity that you have? Yeah, so I grew up in a Chinese restaurant. My, my dad moved from China to Mexico when he was 22 and he was a chef. My parents opened a Chinese restaurant when I was one year old and our house was in the back of the restaurant. So I, that was my house. I remember growing up and everything was a restaurant with entrepreneurs, always with people at the house. In terms of the culture, I went to a Catholic school. So I used to go to church on Sundays because that was part of my homework. But then also my dad used to, and because of the Chinese restaurant, there was Buddhas around the house. Every time that was like the Chinese New Year's, we used to have food or celebrate that with family as well. So I grew up. Also with food, uh, since it was a Chinese restaurant, it was a lot of Chinese food, but then also my mom used to make Mexican food. So for me, like, I, I used to get beans, but then also white rice, or I like, combine okay. it with some other things. So the fridge was really, it was good. That was good food at the house. I do not speak Mandarin or Cantonese, but just growing up with my dad, I can understand some of the tones when I hear people. But I think it also allowed me like moving to the U.S. to like, have an open perspective of like different cultures mm-hmm. and understanding that there's like other religions, people have different point of views. So I think that was really helpful as well in that sense. Is food still a big part of your life now? Do you still cook a lot and bake a lot or do you still make a lot of different dishes? I do. I like to cook. I like to eat a lot because I think my stomach, I've been eating so much <laughs> since I was a little kid. So I think I, I, I eat a lot. And then cooking Recently, because of COVID, I was cooking more with my roommate. And I think it took me back to like when I was like growing up. So like I'm, I'm good with flavors, like the taste. So it was just like a nice reminder of where I come from. So I just want to continue with that habit. And then also it's healthy to cook at home. Awesome. I have to come around. I know you've got a new place. So you moved to high school, I think, as a sophomore without being able to speak English. What was that like? Yeah, so I moved when I was 14 and I was a sophomore um, in high school. So I was taking three ESL classes a day and then staying after school to use the computer at the school just to like go over pronunciations. It was hard to be honest and I'm like like I remember as a 14 year old moving to a new country not speaking the language, not being able to like, raise my hand when I knew the answer because I, I felt ashamed of my pronunciation or like things that I, or like how do I like, express some stuff. I think it was like mentally hard, but I really valued the sacrifices that my mom did. And I was really good at memorizing things and understanding. It was mostly ha- finding the courage to like speak up or raise my hand or not feel ashamed of if I made a mistake. But I think after one year, I was able to like, pick up the language, mostly on writing. The U.S. really focuses on if you are good in writing essays. So I was lucky that I was able to, to do that quickly. And then eventually taking summer classes, I, I took 
ESL 1, 2, 3, and then I was able to finish all of the like English 1, 2, 3, and 4 and graduate with English 4 as well with, with the regular students. And I'll say like everything was because of knowing that I needed to succeed and, and needed to speak the language in order to continue with my education. So that was one of my priorities growing up. Absolutely. And you talked about your mum being a, a driving force in that answer. Do you mind sharing why she's such an important influence in your life and helping you through that time? Adam, I know where you're going to, you want to see me try. You're so aware that your parents made the sacrifice, or my mom in this case, made the sacrifice of moving to a new country, not knowing anyone, not knowing the language herself, having to rely on us to translate papers. I think as a kid, sometimes I, I felt angry that I needed to like, do that extra work that mm -hmm. my friends didn't have to do it mm -hmm. but I also was aware that if it was hard for me I think it was even more hard for my mom to feel incompetent sometimes of it and, do, and doing things so I think that drive on her uh, like it wasn't still on me as well to mm -hmm. to do good at school and I uh, parents I think they come to the U.S. with good intentions of, I'm going to provide for my children. And education, I think, is always the key for many countries. Mm -hmm. So I remember my mom saying, you have to go to school, you have to go to college in order to for you to be successful in our community. So that's why I was, one, I was gay, so I, I was always hiding behind the books. Mm -hmm. I, I need to be my mom proud and everything that she gave up for. Absolutely. Well, you've done awesome things, and it's great to see you blazing those trails for other people as well and speaking about it. So thank you so much, Luis. Um, so after this, you've talked a little bit about applying to Berkeley and the challenges that you faced, particularly in the first time with a lack of a social security number. Just taking a step back, what, what about your story or what about Berkeley really drew you to that institution? So I went to community college first. I never saw any of the UCs when I was in high school. And then I joined a program called the Puente Program. It was mostly for Latino students, first generation Latino students who wanted to go to, to college. Mm -hmm. And they gave us a tour of the UCs for a weekend. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I came to UC Berkeley. And I remember one, I, the people, they were really nice, the weather, even mm -hmm. though like people complain about the weather in the bay, I really liked it. The people on the panel, they were so real. And I also find out that even like some Mexican presidents came to Berkeley. The history was like one of the first it was the first UC in California. And then Haas was also the number one in the States. And I think it was and also San Francisco was <laughs> a couple minutes away. So I wasn't I wasn't out to my family and I think I also wanted one, I wanted to be away from them to find myself. And then second one, when I heard that it was like the number one, I was like, I need to come here because I need to be surrounded by really cool people because I'm still undocumented and this is where I'm gonna find the best people, the best education and the best jobs. So in the back of my mind, I think all of that combined with the beauty of the campus, which I love, that's, that's the reason why I was so persistent in, in coming here. And then you talked about applying and the challenges that you faced with the first time, but that then eventually led you to coming out. And 
I'd be curious, like we all have our own stories about coming out. What eventually pushed you or helped you or motivated you to come out at 19? I knew that I was gay since I was a little kid. I think many of us, we know that, that we're gay or something is it's happening. When I moved here, I was half Chinese. I'm half Mexican. Mm-hmm. I became undocumented and I was aware of it. I just didn't, I just couldn't understand why I also <laughs> have to be gay. <laughs> There's so many coming out. And I was trying to reject that part because I was like, my mom is gonna, like, my mom loves me because she brought me here, so she knows that I'm an immigrant. But I, I wasn't sure how she was gonna take about me being gay. Mm-hmm. And I just felt I needed to protect myself or I needed to be 100% sure of what was going on. I got into Berkeley the first time and then the scholarship got rejected. That's the first time that I also became more of a leader in my community because I opened an organization, I created an organization on on my campus at community Mm -hmm. college to support undocumented students and um, advocate for the DREAM Act and Mm -hmm. AB 540. During that time, I partnered with the local Orange County nonprofit. I used to go to the meetings once every week. And at the meetings, most of the organizers, they were immigrants, undocumented, but then also gays. Mm -hmm. So that's when I saw a group of gay, undocumented people. Mm -hmm. And also that that came to the U.S. similar with immigrant parents, many Latinos. And I think just seeing them and talking to them really gave me the courage to come out to my mom. And yeah, so I came out to my mom when I was 19. I will also bring me on that I had a boyfriend at that time. So like, <laughs> it was like, I wanted to share this with my mom. But before coming out, since many of us going to school, we are also type A. And you do your research, I did it too. For six months, I was going to many, I was going to many groups, group meetings mm-hmm. for LGBT kids. Because I wanted to be 100% sure before coming out to my mom mm-hmm. that I was gay. So I, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to get information. I wanted to meet people. I also wanted to like ask questions about HIV prevention or sex or sexuality. So because I knew my mom was going to be asking all of these questions and I wanted mm-hmm. to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And then eventually six months later, that's when I decided to come out to her. Well, congratulations. What a story. Thank you for sharing. I love how you do your research for coming out. <laughs> you have your checklist prepared. We all approach it in different ways. Mine was over tea, which was very English. I'm really interested, Louise, Pride's coming up in your perspective in terms of how do we improve the recognition of intersectionality within the LGBTQ community? What perspectives do you have that you think we should be focused more on? Creating spaces where people are open to knowing that there's different cultures and with different cultures, the way that the experiences from people coming out or how they grew up is different from like every gay person. So I think when I came out, or just like talking about my experience, I think I connected a lot through like music mm-hmm. and art. So I know if you are from a different culture, that's different from each of us. Mm-hmm. So just understanding and being more open about that can be an idea. With cultures, there's also a lot of differences in religion. So mm-hmm. I think just being respectful that even though we might be gay 
or part of the LGBTQ community, there's also a lot of traumas or a lot of fears that people have. So just being really patient when creating the spaces uh, for people to like, heal and open up, I think that's really important. So when we talk about pride and those and having representation, I think representation comes in different ways. So I like, just been open to like seeing something new when it comes to like music or art or, or people showing up uh, with their own religion as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just been really open to the diversity that exists in the LGBTQ community as well. There's a good advice to to listen to. And this links to a little bit later in your story, but I want to bring it in now because I think it ties in thematically, is that when you worked at Salesforce after Berkeley, and we'll go into some of the uh, Dreamer Act in a, in a middle, but when you worked at Salesforce, one of the videos that you created was called Proudly Me. And I work at Salesforce, so when I onboarded, I think I must have watched this video. So that was awesome. But And it highlights lots of different people and intersectional identities and people being proudly themselves. And the question that I have, and it's perhaps a profound question, is, you know, what advice do you have for people to be proudly themselves? I think as kids, or like growing up, knowing that we might be gay or we might be different from what society thinks is normal, we're so afraid to to speak up. And then we also feel ashamed of who we are or of the multiple identities or we see this as challenges and they might be challenges because community doesn't understand who we are at points. But the advice that I will give now is that as hard as they are and as like, your multiple identities, I think they also bring a new experience and a, a different point of view. So instead of like saying, oh, that's, that's a challenge, think about that's a new perspective and take ownership and pride of who you are and how you are different and on what is it that you're how is it that you're adding value to the conversation so i, I just make it a strength instead of something negative i really appreciate that it's always good to bring in different perspectives and one of the perspectives that you do bring is and i hinted this before as being a dreamer after you finished um berkeley for your undergrad daca passed do you remember where you were when that passed? Like, wh- what was your thoughts when you hear- heard about that bill? Yes. When I graduated, nothing. I graduated and no Dream Act, no DACA, nothing was in place. So for me graduating, I remember my last year of school as a senior student. It was so depressing. It was bad. I just didn't. I have done many unpaid internships. I have. My, my resume was good. I just didn't have a social and I couldn't find a job because of that. I created my own consulting company or I was part of a consulting company offering uh, services to nonprofits around the Bay. So that gave me some hope. But at the same time, I was I was 22 and honestly, like I wasn't sure how to be a consultant. Like I went to school for business school, but I, I didn't know the steps. Uh, like about paying taxes, like how is it that I'm gonna go to an interview? I got all those resources. But through that consulting firm, I was able to get an interview in the Bay. Long story short, after graduating, I went home for a couple of weeks. I came back, did the interview, get a, got out of the interview, and then I went to a coffee shop. And I was on Facebook when I saw an announcement about Obama passing the DACA. 
and that was right after my interview for the internship so I was at this coffee shop and I remember I started crying so yeah so that was just me crying at the coffee shop and I just called my mom and I was like trying to get some resources of what was the next step so that was that's when I find out but to be honest there was some fear of sending all the documentation because it's it's a long process and you need so many resources and then so much info to submit the application but after a couple months i was able to do it wow that sounds like a monumental experience and i saw and i'm very jealous and i have a very a couple of tactical questions to ask about this but because of your work as an lgbt plus dreamer you won a courage award and got to meet president obama himself so I got the award for the Courage Award, and it was through a nonprofit here in the Bay. It was an LGBTQ nonprofit, and it's like a national nonprofit. So somehow the White House find out um, about this award, and they reach out to the nonprofit and then requested the four recipients to go to the LGBTQ reception. So I was really excited. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> I was 23. They send us an email asking if we wanted to go to the White House. Everything was going to be paid for. We just needed to request a time. I say yes. They flew us to Washington, D.C. And the day before, that's when they mentioned there's going to be a couple of news reporters uh, coming over. And then also you guys are going to be meeting Obama. And all of us, I was like, oh, wow. I was like, oh, wow. So, there, uh, so the day off, we were really excited. Uh, there was a little fear from the four of us because DACA was new. You cannot go into like any building, a like federal building. And your passport, you also need to show some proof of either residency or citizenship. So we only have our, our, our DACA. And then some of us, we were joking if they were going to deport us <laughs> at the White House. That was our jokes coming in. But I think going into the White House was amazing. We were nervous because it's a huge recognition just like being invited to the White House. The reception was really nice. There was so much food and, and really nice people mm -hmm. in there too. And when we met Obama, they took us to a separate room. There, was like, there were like 20 people in the room and they just called us for the picture and it was really quick. It's mostly he asked us for our names. He said that he read some of the bios that we that we sent as well. And it was mostly reassurance as well that he was going to be working for other like other immigration bills as well as we were there. From my end, completely honest, as I, I do appreciate the experience of going and meeting Obama. I'm also aware that he deported so many people during his uh, presidency. So like, I, I'm aware of that. So there's mixed feelings. But at the same time, that opportunity of meeting the president opened up so many opportunities mm -hmm. for me with work when interviewing at a company. So I'm really, I'm grateful for that. And I met Obama. So that was, yeah. Yeah. And thank you for sharing both sides to that as well, because I think that's a really important thing to think about. It's not just, oh, I'm going off to the White House. Yes, all good. There's lots of mixed emotions in there. So I appreciate you sharing that nuance, which seems to be a continual theme here, right? Not just one thing or another. There's, there's a mix. So you've done that and then you talked about these opportunities and you go to Salesforce and now Twilio and you then decide you want to go back to Berkeley and, and do an MBA. What prompted you to want to do an MBA? I want to become a chief social impact officer or the next 20 profit right? Salesforce, the chief uh, equality officer. And th those positions are new for many companies, very new. 
And I think I do have the story to have some empathy with nonprofits and the social enterprises and the employees. But I also wanted to make sure that I have the education that I needed to talk to other C-level executives about what's going on in the business as well. I do think whichever position I take or whichever role I do, I think my purpose will be to bring the community perspective. Mm-hmm. But I also want to I want to let people know that nonprofits and social enterprises, there's a lot of revenue there and there's a lot of impact that we can create. And I just want to be able to communicate in a way that is going to get them excited and also get the point across in, in, in the way that they want as well. So I thought it was, a time, it was the right time. We were in COVID. I was mostly at home. And it was the right time for me to go back to school and just start my education. And to that goal of wanting to become a chief social impact officer, we're a year into studies. What have you learned in the first year that will help you on that journey? We've been taking a couple classes like in account accounting or leading people so it's mostly like how do we how do we take roles that are going to involve people around mm-hmm. you and mm-hmm. putting people first for example mm-hmm. and then with accounting like some of the finance like budgets uh, that right. we can be understanding so when you're a manager like know how to do that as well but i think also the main takeaway is that there's so many other students uh, has, who mm-hmm. want to go into like impact investment, social mm-hmm. impact, and knowing that you're not the only one and there's going to be other leaders who are going to be with you working on the same topic and same issues. I think that's that's amazing and, and that gives me a lot of hope. There's many case competitions when it comes to social justice or mm-hmm. impact investing that I've been doing this year. I think that's going to prepare me in also getting the network that I need Uh, when I'm ready to make that transition. For sure. And I'm interested to learn a bit more about how you brought that social impact to your role in Haas Hearts, which you're a a VP for in the EW MBA Association. Could you let listeners know a little bit more about what Haas Hearts is and what you plan to do with it this year? So Haas Hearts is a two-month program where a group of MBA students are going to be paired with a nonprofit to work on a project, either about finance or marketing, depending on the issue or the the project that the nonprofit needs. So we're going to be pairing the students with the nonprofits and giving them the coaching as well so they can do a consulting job during that time. So it's really, I think it's really rewarding for the students, not only because they're going to be putting a lot of the skills that they're getting from their classes, but then also because they're going to see the impact that these nonprofits are going to have with our community. So I think it's really exciting to see that. I cannot wait for many students to sign up as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. And we're really excited for what you're going to do. To wrap up the interview, we have a few lightning round questions that we like to pose our guests. So as a first question, during COVID and shelter in place and staying at home, have you picked up any new hobbies? Cooking. Cooking was one. (laughs) And then also running. I I hate it running. But then my only op- option to work out was to run to Bernal <laughs> Heights. So now I love it. That's great. And I know you've moved to the East Bay now. Have you found a, a running route yet or are you still searching one out? Not yet. This is my sixth night here, but 
want when you come over for dinner we can go for a run and see <laughs> louise i am so excited to come over and have that uh run i think we have to guarantee that run because otherwise i'll just be eeling thank you so much for coming on the show it's been so great speaking with you today and thank you to you for listening and tuning into here at haas noah harsey that has a story to tell nominate them on our website haaspodcast.org and if you enjoyed this week's episode please subscribe and leave a rating and review it really does help And of course, share this episode with your favorite bears. Until next time, I'm Adam Ward, and this is Here at Haas.